Welcome to episode number 33 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you start and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode, we have Lucas Poles, who is the CEO and founder of Spark XYZ, which in his words was founded to fundamentally fix the hyper-fragmentation that has been created in the early stage venture ecosystem. And they're working with incubators, accelerators, venture capital firms, and startups through that company. He's also a principal at Quake Capital Partners, which is in Los Angeles. We discussed Lucas's experience being a hybrid entrepreneur, having his own company while also working for another company, how he saw a business opportunity and started and grew Spark XYZ, including finding the actual team for Spark XYZ and then growing that and getting their first initial customers. Also, we dive into what Quake is looking for in terms of founders and companies. So they do run an accelerator program where as of now, they take about 15 companies and they had over 1,500 applications for the last cohort. So we go over what they're actually looking for in terms of companies and founders and what makes for a good team and what kind of traction these teams need. We go through all of that on the venture capital side as well as the entrepreneur side, which is what makes this episode so interesting, such a unique experience having both sides of the coin with Lucas Poles. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast and over an Apple podcast, you can support the show, subscribe, leave a rating review, all of that goodness. Please, please, please do so. But without further ado, here is Lucas. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate you uh, you having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. And you talked actually a couple times at USC already, which has been enlightening because it's you have both sides of the entrepreneurial thing, the venture capital side uh, as well as the entrepreneur side. Not many people have that. So I was like, <laughs> this will be very interesting conversation. Oh. <laughs> I feel like right away off the bat, then I'm curious about the whole like, hybrid entrepreneurship thing. How is that to manage on a day-to-day basis for you? Honestly, it's tough. So I've been a hybrid entrepreneur, what, three times now? Once in my last career, once while at USC, and then now with Quake and Spark. It's very difficult to execute on both if they're not looking at the same objective. So it didn't go well in... The first one when I was at ADP because the networks were so different. Uh, it's a lot of the work that honestly <laughs> we did with uh, Professor Wasserman with the case study. But because my objectives are very similar, like we need deal flow for Quake, you need deal flow for Spark, build out a sponsorship package for Quake and the portfolio companies, you need the exact same thing for Spark. And so because I can execute on both at the same time uh, is really the only way that I can achieve the goals going forward. Yeah. And you said ADP, you were also trying some type of entrepreneurship during that as well? Yeah. So I did professional photography while I was at ADP. So uh, I shot for like Epson and Mattel, did commercial stuff, did travel, um, had a lot of fun, but it was, it was very difficult to try to get it to the level that it needed to be for it to be completely sustainable going forward. Because I, I had a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Commanding job. That'll, that'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the networks were, uh, I think that was really what it drilled down to was that they were just so different. And so I couldn't meet the people that I needed on both sides to execute both effectively. Whereas with Quake and Spark, 
uh, meet VCs that could be potential customers of Spark at the exact same time that I'm raising capital for other portfolio companies. So right. ends up working out relatively well. Yeah. I mean, in the context of this show, obviously this is for people who try to start and grow businesses. That's kind of what Jesco Grind's all about. So I'm curious, like for someone thinking of starting a business, I mean, would it just depend on every situation or like, do you have a preference on, yeah, start to get some traction while you have your job, quit your job? Like clearly it's going to change with every scenario, but I'm just yeah. curious on your your thoughts on that, what people should do. From like putting my founder's hat on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, to the founder's hat. Yeah. Um, don't, don't leave your job until you have traction. Like, there's no reason. There's so many challenges that start once that clock starts. So, and honestly, it shows in the data. Uh, a hybrid entrepreneur, someone who is at a job and starts a venture versus someone that quits their job and starts a venture, the hybrid entrepreneur has a 33% higher chance of success. Uh, and there's a lot of factors to it associated with it. So network is one. Once you leave your current job, can be very difficult to get back into that network, especially with the same people that you meet with all the time, resources associated with it. And then that burn. I mean, it, <laughs> you, you need to be able to act quickly. And uh, if you can't, the startup will fail. And so if you can build traction and have enough sustainability to then be able to consider going out and raising around, then yeah, absolutely. But I wouldn't honestly leave a job before you have that traction. Yeah. I mean, when you say traction, obviously that can mean a lot of different things, right? I mean, it can mean strictly revenue. It can mean enough users or whatever it may be. Like, I mean, for, in your mind, with, with the photography thing, for instance, like at what point would you have gone maybe full-time into that? Like, would you done revenue or like what would yeah. it be for you? Yeah. For honestly, from most perspectives, it's revenue. So from my perspective, like someone might use your product, but it, it's always going to come down to, is someone going to pay for your product? Right. right? So if you're not generating revenue or that, then there are challenges. There are scenarios where like, Hey, I have a letter of intent and I have partnerships built so that they will turn into like a pilot where they yeah. turn into paying customers later that shows real traction without that it's very difficult with photography yeah i mean i was getting paid i was making good money on the commercial shoots that i was doing but to take it to the next level it was impossible to try to execute on <laughs> yeah that seems like a, a, quite the challenge of photography with some other people doing that too and it's like i guess yeah what makes you stand out in that Field or what you know? Network. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly what it is. Um, I've seen some very poor photos be presented in a lot of different places, and you'll look at it and you're like, oh, okay, well, who did you end up knowing? Uh, it, it's really what it comes down to. And it makes sense from that perspective because a lot of the industry is built on trust and being able to honestly show up on time and yeah. execute. <laughs> but uh, the entertainment industry is a very fascinating industry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine that could be interesting, let's just say. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things like, I know you've talked about before a little bit, but like you got the master's degree. What prompted the master's degree for you? And what were you trying to hope? What are you hoping to get out of that at the time? Yeah. So the master's was, so my career was, I mean, it was uh, sales and sales executive at ADP. And I'd worked a lot on the lifestyle side of businesses. Uh, and when my thought was that, look, I want to start a startup. I want to get into that realm I felt like I was missing a couple tools in my tool belt to really execute on it. And my thought was, okay, I can either spend 50 grand and screw up a startup and then start over, or I can go get a master's and then have a better network associated with it and hopefully uh, miss those mistakes going forward. And 
honestly, I, I liked the masters a lot just from that perspective, because there were numerous things that easily could trip me up that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and to that point, I mean, that you chose, like, it was like a one year yeah. master. Yeah. Entrepreneurship. Like, was it that versus an MBA? Did you think you were ever going to get that? Yeah, no, I, honestly, I was looking at the MBA. Okay. First. I didn't. So my, the problem for me with the MBA was that my entire undergrad was the first year of an MBA. And so for me, I was like, uh, when I first started looking at the MBA, I was like, all right, well, I guess I can go through like accounting and finance. It's all the stuff that I did working at KPMG. So it was like, it, it, I don't really want to go through this again, but I'll, I'll go through it again. Um, and then focus on the entrepreneurship stuff in the second half. But uh, as, literally as I'm going to go take the GMAT, I literally log on to the USC website and I was looking for the code to enter in for the GMAT. And there was like, oh, there's a drop down, like a oh, specialty masters. And I was like, what is this? And I was Wait like, a minute. Yeah, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and it, uh, yeah, I mean, that's honestly how I found out about the uh, entrepreneurship masters. Nice. And um, then Spark, Spark XYZ, that, that started during that program? Yeah. Okay. So I know everyone I've always talked to, the first thing is the idea, right? You need some, some type of idea or whatever. Like, were you considering other ideas before you went with Spark? Or what, what were yeah. some of the things you were thinking about? So yeah, I tested a couple of them and I would, I pitched general ideas to a couple of different VCs just to kind of get their feedback on it. One of my favorites is, it's just, it's not possible to execute on because <laughs> I've been traveling a lot. So when I go traveling to a place, I hate the normal, like, oh, let's take a tour guide and ride in a bus for a day. My yeah. favorite thing is partnering up with a local and having them take you to all the local spots to really get a feel for the culture and everything else associated with uh, wherever you are. Right. Uh, I know the last one was in Cuba that we did that. And so, so okay, why can't we get build a marketplace of locals to be able to be tour guides to random people that are coming into town? The last VC that I ended up talking to about it, he was like, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> but not possible to execute on. The reason was because trying to build a two-sided marketplace in that realm would be too expensive um, from an SEO perspective. And that's the go-to-market strategy that I need for that. And so just because it's a great idea and people would use it, trying to get it out to market would be damn near impossible. And realistically now Airbnb has experiences and that is essentially, (laughs) that's essentially that right there. And they already have the platform for both sides. So it's like, God damn. Um, So that was one of the ideas, right? Anything else you're considering? I'm always just curious because, you know, people choose an idea, right? But it's like, they said no to a lot of them normally, or they try different things. I'm just curious if there's anything else or nothing really substantial, maybe? Nothing really that comes to, that comes to mind. Um, yeah, that's the one that stuck out just because it was the one that I was excited about and did a little bit of work behind and yeah. Yeah. And then, so then Spark, how did Spark happen? Like, where did that idea come from? Obviously, it sounded accelerators and all these things and like, were you already working with Quake in some capacity? No. So Spark came first. Yeah. How did that happen? Honestly, it was born out of the dysfunction of universities. It started more as uh, networking and trying to recruit a co-founder than where it kind of ended up. But yeah, within universities, each discipline is very siloed. So 
if we're in the business school trying to get to the marketing school or the engineering school, it's damn near impossible to integrate into their networks. Notice. <laughs> <laughs> Still, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it, and it's not just a problem at uh, USC, it's a problem at Stanford, it's a problem at most major universities uh, across the nation because uh, each discipline does its own fundraising. And so they don't want to have cross-pollination between the two because they want to count it as their win. It's a reason that most universities have anywhere from three to seven incubators and accelerators because they don't switch and they don't ever put entrepreneurship under one roof. And so it started there. And then I consider it what Spark is trying to solve is more of what we uh, what we call a wicked problem, something like pollution or homelessness or something that's just there's a lot of different pieces that are associated with it. And so once uh, we're at the university and then started moving up uh, into the actual startup ecosystem, how broken it really is, not just from a networking perspective, but trying to do everything that you need to to be able to execute effectively. A lot of the stuff, it shouldn't be as hard as it is. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of where it ended up. Yeah. And, and thinking about that. So obviously you notice the ecosystem, how broken that is, but like, what are even those first steps? Like, oh, you notice this, you're like even looking for like a CTO or a technical co-founder or whatever. But then what were some of the steps you even took? Was it just like, you know, emailing these different schools and seeing what they were doing in different parts of the USC? Like, what were you doing? Like, what were some of those actual steps? If you remember, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of different things. Uh, no, I'm, I met with every single dean at USC um, who all were very aware of the problem. Yeah, I said I went through I went through it with all of them um, and had conversations around it. I uh, sat down with the Career Center, who is another impediment to startups, because uh, at this point, if if I'm uh, if I join if I'm in the MBA program and I join a startup and get paid 70k and five percent equity, that hurts the Career Center, like and it hurts the school's ranking, which is like it's crazy. Yeah. And so they push everyone towards consulting or anything else, anything that's a high dollar figure to right. help with them for recruiting or anything else, and so. Uh, yeah, I, I just dove deeper and deeper and deeper meeting with so many people and just trying to wrap my head around how chaotic it truly is. And the way that we ended up developing Spark was to try to circumvent all of these impediments to, to get in, to be able to gain access to the talented universities for the startups by helping them run their competitions, which is one of the three core functions. Right. And how did you meet your co-founder then? Super fortunately. So <laughs> it's always, I, mean, I literally talked to someone like yesterday like, oh. and they basically need a technical co-founder, right? Yep. Does everyone, but like, how did you meet? So my thought was that I wanted someone as experienced as me for the co for the founding team. And so I wanted someone that could execute and what did well. So what I ended up doing was paid a dev shop to build my MVP to show that I was serious and that we were actually moving this thing forward. Uh, from there, that's when I started recruiting after I had something tangible, not no longer just an idea, I had yeah. something that was real. I hit up a friend of mine that does technical recruiting at Disney. Very fortunately, I'd known him for seven years, <laughs> did not ever realize that he was in technical recruiting. Uh, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he hooked me up with my co-founder and he's, I think he's hooking me up with my next one or two hires as well. I mean, with that, you, you say you went to a dev shop. I mean, was it like an overseas one? Like, is it cheaper? Like, where did you no, go? No. No. <laughs> Someone here in LA. So I okay. went to a place called Philosophy, which is in Santa Monica. A little expensive, 
but from my perspective, I wanted a good code base to okay. be able to start with. And so uh, if a lot of time when you go to overseas, you'll have something built and you're going to have to tear it down and rip it apart anyways and basically start over. Uh, so that's not where I wanted to start. I wanted to start with something that was good and tangible and shown that I had thought it through and knew that I was serious because my code was going to communicate to my co-founder where we were. And if he yeah. walked in and saw the hot mess, like I'm not, I'm not even dealing with like, it. No, not going to work with you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you had that, you had that type of thing built. So I mean, knowing that, so what types of things did you want in the MVP? Like obviously it's a minimal viable product. Like what things were you looking for that you thought could show enough to a potential co-founder? Like what were some of the things you had developed? Some of the features, it was basic recruiting stuff out of it. We built Spark backwards in all honesty. Uh, we should have started with the portfolio management tools with incubators and accelerators and then gone towards the recruiting, but we ended up starting out with recruiting right first. first. But yeah, that was some of the, the basic things, a user's profile, basic features to be able to, to start testing it in market. Okay. So you had that built and then from there, you obviously could show that to someone else. So how did you meet up with that? You're a co-founder then actually, like in terms of like you found them and then was it an easy convincing thing? Was it an, like, no, we probably, yeah. we probably met th four or five times, but uh, you have to keep in mind at the exact same time, I think I interviewed close to 30 people before oh, really? I went with Abe. Yeah. Did a lot of recruiting and there were a lot of things that were not a good fit. Any examples? Just curious. Just uh yeah there are a lot of <laughs> <laughs> i mean people who are listening definitely are curious about this and i have these questions in mind for them as well it's like yeah. they're wondering so I'm, yeah a lot of people that had a technical background but outsourced everything themselves to somewhere like china or india which might work for some people but it wasn't what i was looking for in the founding team so i, I ran into a lot of those um, i ran into people that weren't that good at coding. I was fortunate that the, the other thing that uh, paying the dev shop to do was that they could do a technical interview. So I can't do a technical interview. Right. It's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need certain shops for that. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I could do the culture in that aspect, but so I would actually have them do the culture, inter the technical interviews with them. And he was by far the more advanced and he was here in LA, which was great. So yeah, that's, yeah. And, and with that, like, obviously the founding team is so important. Yeah. And I'm curious as like, what was that dynamic in terms of telling him, like, these are the things I'll be working on as you're, you know, obviously doing the coding and all that. Like, what was that arrangement? What did you let him know? Like, oh, like, I'm, like, how did that work? We just talked it through. I don't think that there was really a formal, formal piece. I started closing partnerships even back then with, uh, a bunch of other people to, to show that what I was ending up working on, we were doing some stuff with USC, we were doing stuff with a couple other people to show traction. So, but it's from my perspective, it's always good. Like open communication is the most important thing, especially with your co-founder. So even to this day, um, during our, uh, one of our weekly meetings, I'll walk through the business side of things like, Hey, this is what the users thought. This was the feedback showing it to, to other people. And we, we have game plans to have a general understanding of what's going on on both sides. And he does the same thing from the technical side to give me a better understanding of, okay, this is gonna take this long. Uh, this one was delayed by like a couple of days, why it was, and actually running through to 
give both of us a better understanding of how to execute going forward. Right. And like, what was the approach for you in terms of getting getting those first few customers, first people interested, like you had the USC connection. So clearly that was something, but like, what were you thinking of? Like, here's going to be the first people we're going to try out. Like, how did that go? I don't know. It was more things that just started popping up because there was a need on the side, especially for the features that we were building out. So part of it was USC demo day last year. Part of it was Quake last year. I mean, that's honestly how I ended up meeting with Quake uh, and how I ended up joining and to help start LA was I was bugging them from a UI UX perspective. Like, like, hey, I'm building this product. I want, I need to know what you want yeah. associated with it. So, yeah, I mean, stuff just started popping up. I was just meeting with as many people as I could to talk through and to fumble through the product and screw up my pitch and screw up literally everything. <laughs> so when you're talking to them, are you, you're literally like, here, here, take a look at this. And like, you're looking for feedback. I mean, is it just like, you know, watching it with them as they use it? Or like, what were some of those things? Obviously, feedback is so critical for, especially early on in the product. Like, what were so you doing? a lot of the time, so like even now, like we're finishing building out the judging aspect of what we call the collective in Spark. So that's the portfolio management tools. Yeah. I have seven or eight meetings with other accelerators to sit down and be like, okay, uh, this is the base of what we determined was necessary. What's it missing? What is it not? Like, should this be a feature associated with it going forward? Is there anything impending you from using this a hundred percent? Like, is there something that is critical that you absolutely need? And if you don't get it, you won't use it. Like those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're constantly needing feedback. Is there any particular like, a simple Google sheet, Google form, or like, yeah, how do you organize it? Cause I mean, I imagine like you get feedback from everyone, like all the, all the time, right? How do you, is there something specific you organize it with or you're just kind of keeping that in mind and then like, okay, obviously you need to build this. Uh, Trello, honestly. Trello. Oh, yeah. Trello's great. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll use Trello. It's when you start hearing the same things over and over yeah. is on the feedback that you need to jump onto. And so, if it's a key feature that's missing and it was brought up in four of seven meetings, like we need to have a discussion Clearly. about, yeah, um, putting this in. And so, yeah, Trello, honestly, yeah, I, we, as dads especially, like live and die on Trello. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's really convenient. Yeah. <laughs> it works. We used it for the last couple of years. I was at, and just like, I introduced them to Trello, like, oh my God. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's like the best thing. Like, why are you using some texting app before? And it was like, what? Like, what are we doing? How are you here? managing a company with this? It's like, multi million dollar company. I was like, no, like, we got to bring some more organization to this process, man. But, oh. but yeah, Trello, Trello is great for organizing that. And then, and then with your, your company, so is it mostly like LA related incubator startups because you know them? Or is it like, have you expanded out? Like, how is that process gone? So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to start, the go to market is starting in LA. Um, and then expanding out probably to some of the Valley meeting with plug and play in a couple of weeks to sit down and do feedback with them. Yeah. Uh, once we had that, I mean, we ran the West coast competition in part for user testing on Spark to see what was needed and what wasn't. So we incorporated that we'll start rolling out to LA and then start expanding nationwide. Okay. Uh, so that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, that's actually one of the things you brought up West coast competition. I know we talked briefly before <laughs> class and like how much, how crazy that was to set up. I'm curious, like, okay, so that was like a multi-month, like, prepping for this thing. Yeah. How did that go? What were the initial plans? Like, I want to know about that. It, honestly, it started at USC. I wanted to do an event with the USC Entrepreneurship Club and the UCLA Entrepreneurship Club as, a, like, a bridging the gap type okay. of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, when I, 
it, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where it was just like, it nearly killed me. It, it probably took about six months to bring together and to organize um, across the board, just taking feedback from a couple of different people. So I remember talking to Mike Rivera, who runs Founder Central at SC, and we had this whole plan for just doing the 50 startups on the first day and bringing the investors in on that. He was like, why don't you do a second day? Like, why don't you do like, like your goal is moving the needle on founder failure. And I was like, yeah. And so he's like, why don't you bring in a bunch of speakers and teach on the second day? Because a lot of the time these events don't do a great job of that. And right. so that's where the second day was born and brought in from. And so, yeah, I mean, it was very fortunate how it ended up turning out. Uh, even with the rain on the first day, I think we had like four or 500 people, uh, which was great. Jeez. Second day, anywhere from three to 500, depending on who was on the panels. And it wasn't focused around Spark or around Quake or around anything. It was really focused on bringing the, the LA community together. That's why we brought in all the VCs that we did to, to have these conversations candidly to, to help move that needle on founder failure. Right. And so initially, though, you're thinking like, oh, yeah, USC, UCLA, this might be a smaller thing. Like, did you have like, okay, we're targeting a date, you know, early 2019 or whatever, right. end of 2018. Like, did you have that idea like first and then like, oh, yeah, we have months to plan this? Or was it like, let's just start to get some people together and we'll figure out the date. We'll figure out what we want to do later. How did that go? Uh, it seems like a massive undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was talking to one of the other partners at Quake and he was like, why don't you just blow it up? Like, make it huge. I was like. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, 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 sure. <laughs> I mean, I make it huge. What does that mean? Yeah. Like, have more VCs, more people. Like, uh, I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, once we started getting support uh, from the rest of the venture firms, like I started having people emailing me like, hey, I would love to participate. Like, yeah. let me know where I can help. That's when it just started getting bigger and bigger because I wanted to have as many people in the community come and support and help out the startups. So, right. yeah. Yeah, geez. And is, so that was like the one big event. That you, do you have any like consistent smaller events or like what types of things do you guys do besides that? Yeah, I mean, we'll do, I mean, we run our demo days. Uh, I went to the one, yeah, I went to one of those. Yeah, so we run those uh, twice a year. I'll usually do uh, a VC panel um, where I'll bring in a couple of the VCs and a bunch of the angels from the community to talk through different topics. So the last one was about due diligence. Like, hey, let's talk through due diligence and what your process is and what you guys are actually doing for it um, to talk through best practices. Next one might be something around the lines of like real world versus academic because there's a lot of disparities between the best practices in both um, looking at venture capital. So yeah, we'll throw that. We do recruiting events for the startups and when we run the portfolios and uh, like a kickoff event okay. <laughs> for them as well. Yeah, I gotcha. And I know at, I think one of the times you came to USC, you, I think you guys were just, you had just gotten the applications or something for the latest batch and you had gone through 1500 or something. <laughs> like, I want to know that side. So obviously we're going a lot more on the entrepreneur side, but now I'm curious about the VC side as well. Like, how do you narrow that down from, you know, thousand plus whatever applicants? Like, what the hell is that process like? It takes anywhere from two to three months. It's two to three months. Yeah. It's an, honestly, it's an arduous task. We cut out probably... 80% in the first go because they don't meet or too early or they don't really meet our investment criteria. After that, we actually go through an individually grade every single one that's left based on a couple different principles. So traction, team, and product. Traction being the most important to us because for us, it's 
we want startups at that inflection point to actually amplify. And so they generally need 10 to 20K MRR to be able to join the cohort. And so we'll go through and individually grade all of them out of call it the 100, uh, the top 100 out of that. We sit down, we have individual interviews with all of them, which is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Do the numbers. How many people are looking at these companies? So it's you and like. So there's others? three partners in each office. It depends on who's looking for their cohort right then. So like New York and LA did a joint one for the last go around. And okay. so it was us in New York together going through the stuff. Yeah. So that's how, okay. So that many people then. So, so once it gets to like a hundred, you're doing interviews with everyone, every single company, like how do those go? What are you looking for? Types of questions you're asking? You know what I mean? Uh, trying to poke holes in things, trying to understand their product a little bit better. For me, I want to know how they think about certain things. Uh, honestly, a lot of the stuff, especially in the early stage, a lot of some of my questions, if they're not like deeper into the technology and understanding what they're doing, it's more around the founders. Like, hey, how did you split equity? Did you split it 50-50 or did you have a real conversation around <laughs> it? And so thinking through and finding what what real conversations that they had, maybe what challenges that they had run into and how they overcame them finding people that uh, are not just passionate, but uh, can persevere going forward is probably a, a big one, but it's going to depend on both. Oh, knowing their numbers. Like, I think that's super important. And then sometimes you'll start getting like conflicting things like, okay, well that doesn't make sense according to this. And like, okay, you need to walk me through this. Cause now I don't believe any of your numbers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, poking holes and, and uh, trying to find understanding of where they, yeah, their actual thoughts. Right. And that's over the course of, I'm sure, days, if not weeks, if whatever. Like, yeah, it's but, probably a week or two on the, on the, for the hundred. Okay. And then we'll generally get it down to 50 or 30 for that last round where the interviews are a little longer and it's just a chance for us to revisit and actually go through and do deeper dives on some of the stuff. So then to that point, the companies you actually choose like to take on, like what separates them from, you know, the, the hundred or the 200 that, you know, we're made it to at least the next round, but didn't quite make it through. Like, what are some of those things? I mean, you may, obviously you mentioned team and traction. It's just, they have a little bit better team. They have like a little more traction, like what types of things? Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it Honestly, it's really tough, especially when you're getting down to that last 50 or 100. It can be a roll of the dice sometimes on who do you think, who can execute better. A lot of time it's coming down to like dollars because it's not up to me to validate your idea. It's not up to any VC to validate your idea. It's up to the market. And so if you have more dollars behind it, it means that there's a better chance of us being able to push you in that right direction and make that jump. The other piece is probably like, how much can we help you? If I have a company that I can't really help that much, even if they're a great company and I have a company that's also great, but I can help tremendously, I'm going to end up taking the one that I can help tremendously because we add much more value from that perspective to them for right. going forward. So Sometimes it's domain expertise, or it's maybe a field that you want to get into. We invested in a company called Kidderly in a cohort that's coming up and they do craft goods, which it was a, it's like a $90 billion industry or something. It's ludicrous. And <laughs> it was one that I had been wanting to get into for a while. Same with the one that won West Coast Challenge, Market Star. Um, the law changed on how... I guess, gambling online um, about a year ago. And I've been waiting for someone to, to execute on that and to see it actually come through. And so right. 
when you see things, you're like, okay, like finally, I've been waiting for something like this to actually make it through. That's when you you have a better understanding because you can do what you need to 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 get them to the next level. Yeah, and then how long is your program? Twelve weeks. So it's so it's twelve weeks, and so obviously you have some like domain expertise in different areas and everything. You're helping them along. Is it like? Then I was just talking to someone who just like just got into Y Combinator and they have the weekly dinners, they have partner meetings and stuff. Like, what is it at Quake? How does that process kind of go once they get in? In the twelve weeks, so we'll generally have uh, two classes a week that will actually teach. So bringing in someone like Ed Lee to teach about pricing, or Marissa from Silicon Beach Talent, who she scaled Tesla from zero to sixteen thousand employees. So we bring her in to teach about culture and yeah. other things. So. The first half of the program is focused on de-risking them because honestly, I've seen more startups fail at the inflection point than I care to count. <laughs> <laughs> so making sure, honestly, that they have their ducks in a row, that they're good for what's about to come. Um, and the second half is about amplification. And so connecting them to new customers or funding if they need it each week. But again, each week we do the, the two classes. I bring in probably three VCs a week for office hours um, and then people like advisors. So like Bob Muller, who is SVP at Warner Brothers and runs Ellen's show. Um, he's a friend of mine. He comes in and uh, will sit down with startups and, and talk through how he might be able to help. So it's bringing people that uh, add a lot of value to them depending on what they specifically need. Right. One of the things I want with the teams, are they, I guess it's going to be varied, but is it typically like two people, three people? Like, how, what are these teams coming in to Quake? How, like, it depends. Okay. Some of them, like, I think Ormiga from our last cohort, they probably had like 15 people on the oh. staff, but they weren't coming here. Most of the, the, typically the only people that actually come to the accelerator are the CEO or the COO okay. during the time because it doesn't make much more sense to have the other people coming. It, it just, it, it doesn't make sense. Like we're introducing you to people who uh, you'll raise funds from. You want the CEO in front the of The CEO is the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do fundraising. There yeah. And it's very much geared towards them from that. So like doing leadership exercises and walking through that to help them going forward. So yeah, it's, it's typically them. Okay. And then one thing that you mentioned earlier was obviously you have what, 1,500, 1,000 plus applications? Yeah. 15, okay. Yeah. And you're only taking like how many? 20, 30? 15. 15. Uh, 15. So traditionally we'll look at 1,500 startups for every 15 portfolio companies that we bring in. Somewhere okay. plus or minus 100 on that side. So my brain always goes to what happens to the other ones that don't get in? Uh, like, are you, do you have anything where you're like, you're following up next time or you're just waiting for new applications next batch or like how is that going for Quake? A little bit of both. It depends okay. on, so especially the ones in LA, like keep tabs on, okay. um, grab uh, people put me on their quarterly investor newsletter that I'll read to keep updated on it. They will reapply going forward. Yeah. But I, honestly, I mean, that's part of the problem. That's the broken part of the ecosystem. I can't tell within the ecosystem who all of a sudden is doing really well and I need to take a look at yeah, so there's nothing really like follow up on on those companies. Like Spark will be able to be, will be able to help okay. with that, but uh, no, not really. Yet. That's actually one of the things like I was talking to people about recently was that was the idea I had of like, okay, I get all these. There, and there's a lot of accelerators too, so they could easily they could apply to other ones that may yeah. be a better fit. Just pure numbers game, right? Yeah. So it's like you know all these companies that aren't getting into Quake, aren't getting in whatever top accelerators, incubators, whatever it may be. It's like where do they go? It's something. Definitely want to have more conversations about. I'm wondering if you, I mean, 
Spark could be part of that solution, perhaps. But it's like they could, could still be okay companies that have the potential, just didn't quite crack it, you know? Yeah, honestly, there are a bunch of great companies in there that we love looking at that we just, at the end, we have to make a decision on the 15, well, yeah, which is tough. But yeah, there are tons of incredible companies that run through and sometimes they're just not like, uh, there are a couple of companies that I absolutely love. I just don't think they're at that point where it would be most beneficial for them to be in the cohort. It's like, you need to go a little bit further and then we can have the real conversation about actually investing. Right. Um, and there are a lot of them like that, that are almost there. Uh, yeah. That you, you keep tabs on going forward. Yeah. And maybe there'd be something, some, there's probably some type <laughs> of business idea for helping those people that don't get in there. Oh. Cause I'll probably work on that more, but I, I'm curious about that. Cause there's, I mean, it seems like a logical, like farm system, you know, you guys are the major leagues, but then, yeah, you still have the farm system ready to go or boom, you can have them pop up. Oh, now they're popped up. Boom. Let's go to quake or whatever. There's gotta be something there. So we may have to discuss further, but well, one thing I'm wondering too, though, with quake, obviously like that's a big part of the like, part of the year, looking through all these applications, interviewing, whatever. And then you have the 12 weeks, but like, what does your year look like beyond that? Yeah. And what are you doing day to day? You know? Once the portfolio company goes through the 12 weeks, it's not like they're done with us. Yeah. Like, so the, the nice thing is that uh, when you come through Quake, basically you're, you get a free advisor for the, until you exit IPO or fail, like one of the three. And so we, um, a lot of time I'm talking to them, I'm helping with their fundraising uh, ear to just listen because uh, being a CEO is very lonely. <laughs> um, As you would know. <laughs> yeah. So I'll generally help out in that uh, with them in that area. Besides that though, I'm, uh, I have more meetings per week than I can count at this point. So I try to, I kill myself trying to meet with as many entrepreneurs as I can to try to help move that needle on founder failure. So people that are way not ready for Quake, like I'm still happy to sit down and have a conversation with and try to help uh, going forward. So it's it's that or it's meeting with channel partners, um, setting up new partnerships or meeting with the other VCs and having conversations like, hey, what are you looking at right now? Have you seen anything interesting type of thing? So. Yeah. A lot, a lot of meetings. <laughs> lots, of, lots of meetings. I mean, that's, that's, that's your role. I mean, that's the partnerships and everything like that's your yeah. value, value add to Quake, I guess you, you would call it. With that, I mean, obviously you have Spark, you have Quake. As this continues to move forward, like where do you see that progressing? Like always duality? I, mean, I feel like no, there's going to be something no. that changes, uh, right? Yeah. Eventually. I'll have to make the decision probably within the next year okay. on uh, if I have to get a CEO for Spark and let that run, or I leave Quake and I just do Spark full time, there's a limit to the how long uh, you can be a hybrid entrepreneur because I mean it's just it's taxing. Yeah, it's so oh taxing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I said in class, uh, I see my friends at weddings at this point, and so I would like to <laughs> have more free time. Yeah, <laughs> at, at some point, <laughs> at, some, at some point at least. <laughs> Even if it's temp- yeah, temporary for now, doing uh, both. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> You wouldn't do that, I assume, if you didn't enjoy both of them tremendously, obviously. But like, I mean, honestly, that's the that's the biggest challenge. And people constantly ask me, like, which one are you going to choose? And it's like, I don't honestly have an answer for you because yeah. I, I, I love, I love working with the startups. And it reminds me of when I was in a leadership role with being able to help them and seeing them succeed and, and having them hit their goals was just so rewarding. And so being able to be in that position is just amazing. And then on the Spark side, 
like building something yourself, getting down, like truly into it and really running with your passion, your, your idea, your goal to be able to change the world. I mean, it's tough. It's, yeah. it's very tough to figure out which one it is. And so I've put off that decision. I was going to say, probably like, I don't want to think about it. We'll just keep going when we'll see what happens. And hopefully they both just keep taking off. And it's like, don't want to think about it. Uh, one of the things to that point and something I'm interested in, obviously with the podcast and with everything I'm trying to do is helping people launch and go businesses. Are there any particular like resources, whether it be podcasts, websites, people, books that you think are helpful for, for founders, for, you know, for aspiring entrepreneurs, any resources that you think are helpful? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can go to the blog yeah, yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. for what I wrote. So I, mean, I wrote the 50 articles, um, the entrepreneurship guide for SE um, that's out. But where is that from? What, what site is that actually on? Is that on? Uh, it's, I think it's on Medium right now. It's on Medium. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw all the articles. That was what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, but I mean, I love like Eric Reese does a really good job of understanding. Venture Deals is another good book. Yeah. Brett Feld, yeah. Anything that... I guess the best advice for finding stuff, anything that will challenge your own paradigms about how you view either the startup landscape or the, like the actual world. I think those are the most valuable books because it gets you to uh, get out of a one, like a certain mindset of like, Oh, this is the only way to do it. And it's like, well, if we can really step back and look at it, uh, we might find a much better solution going forward. And so, Anything that helps challenge that, I think, is super valuable. I literally read a book called Being Wrong, <laughs> which is, I thought it was fascinating uh, how your memory uh, can actually totally betray you, even though you remember it perfectly, which I, I found very, very interesting. Uh, but yeah, there's a, yeah, a lot of the startup books on there. Wasserman's book, honestly, yeah, Founder Dramas, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is as my entrepreneurship Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I started it. I'm probably 50 pages in it so far. It's like, oh man, this is good. It's one of those things where at USC, it's hard to get into this class. Yeah. So I, I'm not very patient. And so I said, I'll just buy his book. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'll vouch for that book as well. There's so many good ones out there, right? And yeah. then, especially in different areas of it, like venture deals, very much so learning the term sheets and what yeah. these actually look like. And then going through like the lean startup with Eric Reese, like you mentioned, it's like, then that's a mentality and a framework for everything. There's like business model generation gives yeah. you the business model canvas. I think that's yeah. helpful for people as well, but it's like, you just take that interest and start, start somewhere. And then yeah. it seems like that that's the way to do it. What are the, uh, anything recently like you're reading? So you founder's dilemma, obviously, but like, I assume it's maybe you don't have as much time for learning now. But is there anything you're still kind of looking at? I, I do my learning on vacation, which is okay. super weird. But generally when I get to read books, it, it's on vacation. Okay. Um, the next book that I have to read. So <laughs> IX Investments is, a, is the firm that uh, we share an office with. And Howard Buffett is one of the partners there. And he wrote a book about social impact investing. And so... The next book that I'm reading is going to be about that so I can understand their methodology around due diligence for what ex, uh, explicitly they're looking for to understand their model a little bit better. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's so many different resources. It's, yeah. it's awesome. As we kind of wrapping things up here soon, I'm just curious. I'm like, what are you excited for next, either both in, in Spark and Quake or either one? I'm just curious on what you're kind of excited for coming up here. For Spark launching. We're, we ran West Coast Challenge running the Wrigley competition at USC right now. We've got three others in the pipe for as we go through this year. So we're going to be doing ideation and 
finishing up the last piece of the software. So I'm excited for that, excited yep. for it to be done so that we can start pushing <laughs> from the Quake side. I'm excited about our new portfolio class that's coming in. So that starts in about a month and a half, which is going to be great. Uh, get them back in here and yeah, push them, uh, push them going forward. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, and then any other parting words for like aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, anyone trying to start a company, anything else you'd kind of say to them or suggest they think about? Oh, that's tough. If you're going to do something, do it with excellence. That's one of my personal mottos that has, has done me well uh, through my career and through now. So um, if you're going to do it, do it well. And opportunities will arise from showing that you can execute on things. So, yeah, I'd say that's probably. Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> makes sense. And then where can people find you online or connect with you? Try to get in touch. Yeah, so uh, you can hit me up at lucas at sparkxyz.io. I'm happy to happy to shoot emails back and forth. You can hit me up on Medium too on the blog. Yeah, anywhere. Awesome. Thanks so much for the time today, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. And please, please leave a rating and review over on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Hope you enjoy this episode. Have a great day.